Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Innovation podcast brought to you by the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition. I'm Matt Bragg, director of ISTC. Uh, and today we have a great interview with Dr. James Gillespie, who's the executive director of the PRISM Institute, uh, which is led by Sterling Bay here in Chicago. We touch on his background from growing up in Pittsburgh um, all the way to graduating from Kellogg here uh, at Northwestern in Chicago and his, his many other kind of academic accomplishments, as well as his work to lead many initiatives in the healthcare, biotech, life science space uh, here in Chicago and, and around the country. Um, we talk a little bit about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion as well, where he's done quite a bit of research uh, as well as leading initiatives to try to tackle that issue, uh, which is obviously so important, especially in uh, life sciences. Um, and then we also talk a little bit about um, you know, what the PRISM Institute is, what the PRISM Institute is working on, um, as well as Sterling Bay's wider initiatives in life science here in Chicago, um, and kind of the the current status of, of life science and, and biotech innovation here in Chicago. Um, so without any further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Gillespie. Well, James Gillespie, thanks for joining us on the State of Innovation podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the invitation. So um, you have a, a really kind of stellar background that, that makes for uh, fun reading for someone like myself <laughs> that, you know, as you go through a CV and it, it almost feels like you need a bookmark at points to, to get through <laughs> all of it. So I'm excited about this conversation today. Um, but before we get into, you know, what you're doing with the PRISM Institute and, and Sterling Bay and all of that, um, I want to take it all the way back to kind of the origins of your career and I uh, wonder if you can tell us a little bit uh, about your career arc and kind of how you became interested in, in biotech and healthcare and, you know, all the things that you're, you're doing today. Sure, Matt. And, you know, my interest in healthcare, I traced back to when I was a doctoral student at Kellogg in Northwestern. I was working on my PhD there. It's actually what brought me to Chicago, Evanston proper. And I ended up writing a dissertation on the global pharmaceutical industry. Although, interestingly, it was an early look at it, like I was looking at the early um, 20th century, late 19th century, and I was looking at actually how cocaine was actually integrated in part of the global pharmaceutical industry and how then it was considered more legitimate, then became, of course, illegitimate. So it was an interesting dissertation, but that led just to a broader interest in global life sciences, biopharma tech, and that, that in turn led to just an interest in the broader healthcare ecosystem, which is huge. You know, it's a three and a half trillion dollar industry just in the U.S. And it's, it's important, it's consequential financially, obviously our health by definition. And it's just intellectually, it's just an endlessly fascinating industry. Yeah, so I, I know you, you know, you were at uh, Kellogg at Northwestern and, and you've kind of held different positions at, at other academic institutions around the country. So I'm wondering how, you know, what, what path you took, I suppose, from, you know, Kellogg to kind of working away from Chicago, it seems like, and then coming back. Yeah, no, it's, it's been an interesting trajectory. Uh, while I was a doctoral student, um, I got connected with a company called ThoughtWorks and they were high, they still are, a high-end software development company, really, really good. Started in Chicago, they literally started in a garage at Wicker Park uh, by their founder, and it grew. 
So they brought me in that to, to build out their uh, vertical and healthcare. So I started working with them and that actually got me into the community. You know, when you're a doctoral student, it's like being in a monastery. <laughs> you just kind of, you do your books. I, I rarely left Evanston <laughs> and I lived in Rogers Park. So my life was Evanston and then part of East Rogers Park even. I didn't even go to West Rogers Park. Uh, that's how focused it was. So working for ThoughtWorks, though, it, it got me into the uh, Chicagoland ecosystem. I joined the board of a group called IC Stars, which is a great, you may know IC Stars, started by Sandy Castro, great technology organization, helps those with disadvantaged backgrounds get into great tech careers. I uh, got involved in the America Israel Chamber of Commerce of Chicago, AICC, eventually joined their board of directors. And so that was my opportunity to have this academic stuff and interest in healthcare, but then I actually started getting involved in the real world. And eventually it led to me starting the Center for Health Innovation, which is based in Chicago, but it's a fully national entity. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things about your background, I think what makes, you know, talking to you so interesting is that you do kind of have a foot in both of those worlds, right? As you put yeah. it, kind of the academic side and the real world side. Right. So, of course, I want to talk about both sides. Right. But maybe let's start with the academic side. Um, I know you've conducted a lot of research on healthcare and, and kind of global biotech, as you mentioned. Um, so I'm wondering if you can just give us kind of an overview of what your research interests are um, and then some of the insights that you've you know, been able to, to come up with over the years. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, broadly speaking, of course, they are in healthcare, and I'm interested in strategic and organizational dimensions of healthcare. Of late, I mean, last few years, I've got particularly interested in the intersection of artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data with our healthcare system. And then more specifically, you know, some of the bias algorithms and other problems that are arising. Uh, we know algorithms are a good thing, right? They, they actually help us make faster decisions and better decisions. Uh, the challenge is, in order to construct a good algorithm, is you pull obviously from real world data. That's the whole point, right? <laughs> when you're pulling from real world data, that data in itself may be biased, right? Or lead you into some, some biased directions. And so I'm particularly interested in my research and how we can prevent that. Because we're finding that, that uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, they can actually amplify biases that are out there, make, make them even worse. And uh, so, uh, for, for, for different groups, right? Particularly people of color, particularly if you're low income, yeah, there are some gender biases in this, right? So some stuff that's really pretty pernicious. So in my research, I've been looking at ways that we can uh, remove those. It's pretty complicated because the whole point of an algorithm is to speed decision-making, right? So you're not, you're not making steps. You're not going case by case. You're doing the aggregate and so-called big data well, if you're trying to do things and modify the rules and alter the thing on groups of people, that obviously is going to do some of the advantages of the algorithm. So it ends up being pretty complex tackling this issue. But I think it's going to be one of the issues for the next generation is as we begin to use this big data, how can we do it in a way that's good for humanity and good for everyone? And I uh, just uh, on the back to the background a little bit. I grew up in the housing projects in Pittsburgh. So pretty low income. I mean, we 
the products were so bad. We had no grass, <laughs> no grass of the, uh, they were very, very, very little. And a uh, single parent household, we were on public assistance. Uh, we got food stamps, um, which actually I thought were pretty cool. They're like this colored money. <laughs> when you're a kid, you, you don't realize the stigma of these things when you go to the grocery store. Uh, but anyway, that, that background is just informed really each and everything I do. Um, so, you know, now I'm successful. I've gone to some great schools and those, you know, a lot of great people and involved in terrific organizations. But I always keep top of mind, what can we do as a healthcare system to help those with less, those are disadvantaged. And the other thing, we know these algorithms, gosh, you can be the wealthiest African-American male, the wealthiest Latina, and these biases can still impinge upon you. Yeah, and, and I think kind of on that front, right, you've been a, a leader both in kind of research and in practice in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion in, you know, healthcare and biotech and, and technology. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what you've, you've done in those areas and then kind of the current state of play of DEI um, in the healthcare technology biotech space. Certainly. So I, I've done a lot. I've start, started organizations that you know, focus specifically on that. I've been involved in groups like I'm on advisory board for the Healthcare Business Women's Association, HBA, and it helps basically develop women executives in pharma, great group based in New York City. So I've done a lot of work with them in research. Um, so I've done a lot in the program building piece of it. I've done a ton of events right all over the U.S. I've helped organize and develop lots of mentoring programs. So, so many of the things in, in the lane of diversity, equity, inclusion, I've done clean one-on-one mentoring and, uh, you know, motivated by just, just a desire to make it better. By the way, for me, uh, diversity at conclusion, it doesn't just stop at race. I think if we just stop at a race, we're missing a lot. Obviously includes gender. It also includes, I think it's really important to focus on sexual, uh, sexual orientation or those are differently able. There, there's so many different pieces of it. And I, when you create a respectful, good culture at organization, I think it helps multiple groups, right? And so you asked about the state of DE, and I, I, I think we have to do more and more to talk about how we can bring up all of these subsets, right? And to talk as a group. And um, being an African-American male, I shouldn't just have my interests restricted to that, right? <laughs> I should care that females are advancing the workplace. If we do that, that's going to be good for all of us. I say that one of the best things we can do for any diversity and inclusion subgroup was Native American, African-American, um, lesbian, gay, transgender, is women, gender equity. Why? Because women, you know, the potential be 50% of the workplace. If we can get that gender piece right, I think that'll fundamentally transform the culture of so many organizations and will help across the board. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we're not quite there yet. You do get some silly things, Matt, where there are some perceptions of the interests of, of white females as opposed to black females, right? Because they're flying over women of the poor, contrary to African-American males. Enough, I mean, there, I'm sure there are little trade-offs here and there, of course. But on the aggregate, nothing could be further from the truth. So that has to be one of the vanguards as we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, is making sure we don't overly balkanize the movement. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, the way that we like to think about it is the more diverse voices you have at the table, you know, the more, you know, kind of opportunity you have to learn from different perspectives beyond your own, right? So it's helpful yeah. for an organization. Um, I'm curious, you know, it's it's the million dollar question, right? And I think especially over the last couple of years, it's been one that so many organizations are are trying to tackle. But how do we make you know progress on this front? What's the what's the pathway? What's the you know what are the steps that we can take? Um, you know, I guess as a society as a whole, but also as individual organizations to help improve you know some of these um, DEI kind of measures that that organizations like us you know look at. Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. It's a million dollar question. Billion dollar, <laughs> trillion right. dollar. It's 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 a huge question. Uh, it. There aren't easy answers to it. One is the thing I mentioned just before. I think taking a perspective that um, we should all we should care about the dignity and respect of all subgroups, right? You know, males should just be, be as passionate about gender parity as anyone should be, right? They have wives and daughters, et cetera, moms, obviously. So that's a piece of it. The other one, though, I'm glad you mentioned about the evangelist organizations. I think they really made progress on this. We really have to think even more about diversity, equity, inclusion. Is a, is a good for business. And that, that's been said, that's not an insight. People have been saying that for 10 years. But I, I still think, Matt, it hasn't quite penetrated where it needs to. And DEI is still seen as being more of a do-gooder thing than not, or almost a moral thing too, moral ethical. And it, it certainly is those buckets. But um, just in a very hard-headed way, it really can make an organization better. It really can help with creativity. It can substantially lower your turnover. Turnover is very expensive for businesses, right? If you care respect for workplace, you have fewer losses, less turnover, et cetera. So to answer your question, I think one of the things we have to do is to really start to make that case for the business's advantages. People have been saying it here and there for the last decade, but I, I think it hasn't really bubbled up where it's kind of accepted wisdom. When that happens, I think that'll really help us get more dollars behind it and even more effort behind it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's it's also a situation where even if some organizations, I think, understand that in the abstract, they're so kind of rooted in especially kind of their hiring practices or, you know, the way that they attract talent, you know, they they attract from a very specific workforce pathway, right? And they're very yeah. hesitant to change, you know, their hiring from different pathways that may be a little bit outside of their norm. So um, that's one of the struggles that we've seen. Absolutely. No, but you also, know, I'll, I'll say that to that point, that one of the strongest human tendencies is homophily. I ask people, what, what is it? What is it? It's same like same. It's just a very human thing. The chess club kids like to hang out with chess club kids and the athletes, they tend to sit at the same table and hang out together. So that, it's, uh, and it, it's probably as functional, right? <laughs> Go back and look at the history of uh, humankind. Uh, but, but, that homophily, that tendency to want to be around those who are like us, um, it actually is, is a, something we really have to overcome to really get to true diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I think it takes real intentionality, right, to do that. Yes. Because I think if, if you're doing things the way they've always been done and, and kind of falling back on your, your natural tendencies, it, it tends to not you know, it tends to exacerbate that problem, not solve it. It, so. it does. I was building an advisory board for, for a top university, uh, for something we were doing. And I invited one, just one of the first people I talked to. He's a white male. Uh, he was in the VC space. And uh, 
he invited someone else, and then they invited someone else. And we had three people who were off and running. They're all really exceptional, right, as you would measure these things conventionally. They are committed to the cause they're going to be doing the university, well-educated. They had ability to give funds, et cetera, et cetera. But they are three white males. <laughs> and it wasn't because I set out to do that. It's that they were, it's their network. And the person that came to mind, they were inviting. And so I stopped, <laughs> full stop. And, you know, no one else. And so yet you almost have to force it. I don't know if you're a football fan, but the Rooney rule. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And Dan Rooney, who was a, uh, one of the owners of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he had this rule that the NFL adopted, which is before you hire a coach, you should interview diverse candidates, right? It's very paternalistic. Um, and, and then they're mixed, whether, you know, it was positive or negative, right? It seemed to have some positive impact or not. But anyway, I, I implemented a version of that, which is before I added anyone else, I'm going to actually go and make sure that the next candidate is diverse. It wasn't affirmative action. It wasn't a quota because that fourth person was no less qualified than those others. It's just if you're not careful and not attentive, you can easily come up with something that looks the same. And But it, it still happens. I'm sure you see this, right, all the time where you see boards. I got just invited to a conference in Austin. And, Matt, it was a seven, uh, 28 people. Um, they were four columns and seven rows, and they opened up the program. You, you won't believe this. This is 2021, April, last month. 20, it was a VC conference. 28 males. <laughs> I was like, does anyone look at this? Is this the only one? Just, just incredible. And I'm sure those organizers of that high-end uh, conference, it's going to be in Austin, Texas, they didn't sit down and say, let's exclude females. <laughs> no females here. It didn't work that way. I was just some awfully in their networks, but you know, the consequence is just the same as they were, if they were hardcore misogynists, the outcome was identical. Yeah, totally. And I think it, it gets back to that intentionality piece, right. And, and really having yeah. to, to kind of incorporate that into to what you're doing. Um, but before I get too much further, I want to talk a little bit about the PRISM Institute and, and what you're doing with Sterling Bay now. So uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what the PRISM Institute is and kind of how that initiative came about and, and kind of the goals of, of what you're doing with that. Sure, I'd be glad to. And it, you know, PRISM Institute, P-R-Y-S-M. And uh, we, uh, we started uh, just last year. And... Uh, I never would have thought, Matt, I'd be working for a real estate company, <laughs> real estate development innovation company. Uh, but I'm uh, friends with Andy Glor, and he's a CEO of Sterling Bay. And while he isn't a co-founder of Sterling Bay, he took it when it was, you know, really very small and has built it to this amazing organization. So he, he is functionally the, the key co-founder and founder of the group. And Andy has a Andy and the rest of the leadership at Sterling Bay, they have a real passion and commitment to growing um, the life sciences and healthcare in Chicago. Of course, some of it matters self-interest, right? We have properties, we're building properties. We want to get tenants. If we don't have tenants, they can't afford me, among other people, right? Uh, so you have to have tenants in there. But it's not just self-interested. Andy Glor and the other leaders at Sterling Bay, they really have a deep commitment to developing Chicagoland um, in all of Illinois, right? I know the coalition, we focus on the state level and that, that, that's part of it too. So Andy had this vision of creating this institute within Sterling Bay, 
we're a part of uh, the company and it would focus on healthcare life sciences and technology and developing entrepreneurs and stimulating innovation. Ironically, we're, we're more virtual, I tell folks, Matt. So we're, our goal is we're not going to create a WeWork space, right? That's not what we're doing uh, at Prism Institute. It's more in the programming, right? Institution building, networking, those kinds of things, stimulating collaboration. The other piece that we're really keen on, and Andy and the rest of the leadership is, is making sure that as we develop um, these sectors, these big sectors, that they reflect Chicagoland, right? That we have both gender, but also you know racial, ethnic diversity, other kind of diversity buckets we we're speaking about earlier. And so that's another key role about uh, Prism Institute. It's not just about DE&I, but certainly that's a big objective of what we're doing. And the third thing I'll mention is that at Prism, we are really deeply committed to stimulating collaboration across um, the Chicagoland health and life science ecosystem. We, we don't collaborate enough, right? And, um, you know, we don't have enough entities like the coalition, which under Colleen's leadership and you and others, the, the Illinois Science and Technology Coalition, we do so much, right, to bridge these gaps and bring together industry and academia, really crucial role that the coalition plays, increasingly so, under Colleen's a relatively new but really tremendous leadership. But we need to do more of it. I've been shocked, Matt, going years back by how competitive the space is in Chicago, especially among NGOs and universities, and not collaborating. At the end of the day, and I, I hope the Prism Institute embodies this, at the end of the day, our competitors are not um, other developers in the city or other universities or other uh, life science buildings. It's San Diego, it's San Francisco, it's Boston slash Cambridge. It's others, right? Um, th those are our real competitors and not other local Chicago entities. Yeah, it's such a good point about collaboration. And obviously that's a space that we've tried to fill, as you mentioned, for for years and years now. But I, I almost wonder if it comes from, you know, Chicago is such a such an industry city, right? And, and yeah. it just feels like um, that kind of culture of, you know, kind of blue collar, you know, get it done kind of mentality is, is kind of worked its way into, you know, many of our institutions and, and kind of the way that, that we've traditionally thought about, you know, how we grow our, our own organizations and, and kind of leaving out kind of the greater good um, from the conversation. But yeah, so and there's a strong self-sufficiency element to it too, right? That Midwest, I go in Pittsburgh, the Midwestern will do it ourselves. So, so you're right, that kind of ethos, which is pretty cool, pretty positive, right? I, I think it doesn't lend itself to quite as much collaboration as we need. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's certainly a trade-off, right? I, I think yeah. it certainly um, is kind of the spirit of, you know, let's let's get to work and let's get this done, but also <laughs> can sometimes leave out, well, hey, maybe it might be easier if we worked with, you know, this organization over here yeah. who's doing something uh, that could be collaborative. Um, so in terms of the PRISM Institute, um, I understand you're working with startup companies as well, right? And trying to help them grow. Um, yes, so I mean that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious kind of what your you know, what your strategy is for those companies? What's, what's the guidance you're providing and, and how are you kind of helping them grow uh, here in Chicago? Sure, great question. And, you know, part of the logic is if we help nourish these companies, you know, we want them to stay in Chicagoland and to, to not go elsewhere. When, as companies grow, uh, we found through the years, there's tremendous pressure to go elsewhere, particularly the coast, right? We've all heard that. 
chasing what? Capital, yes, and also um, other human capital, right? So people. Um, so there's a lot of pressure. So we want to reverse that. And so prison wants to be part of that. The things we help companies with, we help with mentoring, right? Connecting with others in the field that, that can be helpful to them. We also help companies find capital. And what we do all this, I should know, we don't charge companies for it. That's kind of one of the really cool luxuries of being part of Sterling Bay and the generosity, frankly, of Sterling Bay and Andy Glower, Dean Marks and the other leaders there, Keith Crown, um, the making this financial commitment to Prism Institute so it can help other entities without charging them. Uh, but anyway, we help, we help uh, connect them to capital. Just to give you one example, we do a monthly investors forum at P33. And uh, we work with Michelle Hoffman there and Cole Johnson, and they're great collaborators. And um, Russ Core, my colleague at Sterling Bay. So four of us do this monthly investors forum where we highlight a Chicago entrepreneur innovator and have them, not a pitch, have them talk to investors. And what's really cool about this is they're almost always external investors. So we've been recruiting people outside Chicago, and mostly outside the Illinois, even the Midwest, to hear these pitches and we've been making contacts because we want to reverse the flow. <laughs> we want capitalists to flow into Chicago to support our startups and have them stay here, actually. So that's one of the things we're doing. We've been very successful in that. Uh, there's more to be done. For example, I noticed a lot of uh, startups need help with their pitches. So we want to see if we can collaborate with other entities and to say the work on that. One of the ethos I have, Matt, at the uh, Institute is we really though don't want to create anything new if we can collaborate with an uh, existing entity, existing program. So we're working closely at World Business Chicago, right? One of the things they're doing and seeing how we can support all the great things they're doing, Chicago Next, et cetera, rather than go and start something new, right? We've had talks with Matter too. I'm a, a, a mentor over at Matter. Matter is a great organization, Steve Collins. And so, so anyway, as much as we can, before we go and start something new at Prism Institute, we look to see how we can support something that's existing. Yeah, and, and it all gets back to that collaboration piece, right? I mean, I think that's so important. And, you know, as, as we look at kind of the, the landscape of startups in Illinois, which we've done for years and years now, yes. um, one of the things that we consistently see is, you know, our startups, especially those coming out of universities and those that are really based in deep technology, right? So, so really something innovative underlying their company. Um, they tend to be able to raise kind of seed funding, early stage funding here in Illinois or in Chicago. Um, but then when they're, they're really starting to accelerate their growth, far too often we lose them to, you know, Boston or the Bay Area or wherever it is um, for some of the reasons that you just mentioned. So it's great to hear an organization like yours that's that's really collaborating with other resources that we have in Illinois and in Chicago to try to keep them here, right? Because so many times in, in the work that we do in you know, economic development and, and trying to keep these companies here so we can create jobs and opportunity in the state of Illinois, um, it comes back to how many tethers does the company have to Illinois or to Chicago, right? So, right. so if you can help you know, create the, the tethers to, you know, academic institutions that are providing maybe some research and some talent for your, for your company and um, investors and even kind of entrepreneurial support organizations, um, you know, the chances that they'll stay in Illinois, just, you know, grow and grow with, with each tether, right? So 
I think well it's stated. so important. Yeah. The stickier yeah. we can make that relationship, the different nodes of contact, absolutely the better. And that's where the NGOs have to work together, right? Because they can help connect those um, startups to those resources. Like the coalition, we, we, you know, it's starting to be done under Colleen's leadership and you're one of the key leaders, but we've got to let many more startups know about the coalition, the Institute, right? What a great resource it is for them among the many. So we, th there's just a lot more we have to do to make the startups in our region realize how many tremendous resources we have for them. And again, yeah, that'll help make the relationship more sticky. The more resources they're pulling out of the ecosystem from different parts. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because we're working on something to fill that gap right now, right? And and we're collaborating with other organizations uh, in the Chicago region to do that, right? To really try to create more connectivity between our startups and other entities in the state that can help them grow. So we'll be announcing that over the summer. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. That was timely. Okay. Why don't you get a scoop now? Why don't you announce it? <laughs> Can't do it yet. Can't oh. do it yet, but it's coming. It's soon. Yeah. Um, by by so the way, I, speaking of, just real quick, I, I you know, I was fortunate to attend a coalition um, this event, what, four months ago and highlighted research in Illinois and gave out, you know, some award winners. That was so much fun. I forget, Matt, how long it lasted. What was it, two hours or so? Yeah. Um, it, it was great to hear all the great research happening in Illinois. Um, but that kind of thing should have, like, triple the attendance we had or, you know, some, some huge tenfold. People should hear about that great research. That's one thing. The second thing is folks don't realize that cumulatively our research centers and institutes in Chicagoland, we do way more research from a federal dollar standpoint than Boston or Cambridge, actually. You, you add the universities and Argonne and others. For me, so, so we have so much good primary basic research going on. And the coalition is doing a good job of highlighting that. You do that with the economic report you prepare, right? But I still think that story is not out there like it should be. And we, we need to do more to promote that. So we, we, we're, we're able to have that basic science that's a starting point for a lot of these startups. But then you mentioned, Matt, then somewhere as they grow, we, we're falling off a bit. Yeah. Well, and I think it, get, it gets back to a little bit the collaboration, right? Because I think we, we have a lot of, of you know, sources of, of research, as you mentioned, right? Our, our great universities and our federal labs. Um, but they they do sometimes become a little bit too siloed, right? Whereas if we were able to collaborate a little bit more and, and share resources and, and kind of understand the big picture, hey, let's keep these, you know, great innovations here where we can really capitalize on the, you know, economic component of it, um, I think is so important. So um, I, I hope yeah. we're, we're filling some of those, those gaps and, and doing some of that work. But, you know, and I think also, I mean, so much of it, it uh, goes back to storytelling too and, and yeah. really you know, bringing the organizations together to tell that story. And I think we're doing some of that, but it does take some real leadership from, you know, kind of the highest, you know, perches of, of right. you know, government and, and civic organizations to do that. So um, I, I think that's a really important uh, kind of issue that, that we can work on together. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, this is a podcast on innovation. The other thing we need to do is to, to bring the whole state together, all of Illinois, right? That's the other thing we, we tend to get into is um, we get into the Chicago, like the urban core versus in the time of life sciences now, Lake County, right? <laughs> kind of, those two things should be supportive of each other, right? They, they can reinforce each other. And then going out from that, right, we get into the whole Chicagoland 
versus downstate, right? And then the kind of oppositional things there. Uh, but it's, the world's too competitive for these resources and cross states that we really need to have the whole state of Illinois and all the great universities like Urbana Champaign really pulling together to move things forward. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because that's kind of the founding mission of ISTC, right? It's trying to bring all the resources in the state together to advance that goal. So, um, you know, but obviously we're just one small nonprofit, right? We, we need a lot of, of partners to do that. So um, I think the more we can bring different organizations and folks to the table, um, you know, the, the better we can kind of meet that goal. Yeah. And I know we, because um, I'm fortunate to be on the board for the coalition, I know we we're always, we're increasingly looking for private sector members. And so, you know, it's, we welcome people that kind of join into what we're doing. This is not an infomercial. <laughs> you, you didn't ask me for this blog. I'm just doing it off script. But uh, I, I, it would be great to get more and more private sector organizations across the great state of Illinois involved in coalition and what we're doing, as well as just more broadly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it, you know, private sector, I think it can sometimes be a little bit more difficult to have that conversation because, you know, sure. many private sector entities are are very well focused on on their own kind of competitive advantage and, right. and doing the things that they do. So it really takes some kind of higher level thinking about, you know, how does how does the state's innovation ecosystem, you know, if we can give back to it, how will it support us in the future and, and kind of thinking, you know, more long term and more holistically about um, things like talent and innovation and research and development and all of the things that that make our state innovative. Um, but speaking of which, um, I want to ask a little bit about, you know, how you view Chicago's kind of biotech scene, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly come a, a long way just in the past four or five years in terms of, you know, organizations like Sterling Bay kind of building capacity for, for biotech innovation in Chicago. Um, but also, you know, there's, there's a narrative around Chicago that, that we still you know, kind of punch below our weight in terms of um, the capacity that we have here. And I know for a while there was a statistic that Chicago had less uh, wet lab space than Madison, Wisconsin, right? Which I think luckily isn't the case anymore, um, but it, it wasn't all that long ago that that was the case. So uh, I'm curious if you can, you know, from your viewpoint of, of very much being involved in it, uh, to give kind of an overview of, of how you think Chicago's biotech scene is, is kind of grown and, and where it's at today and, and kind of where it's heading. Sure. Well, and there's no doubt to use that the phrase you used from boxing, the analogy, we, we still punch below our weight, but that's because we have such tremendous resources, right? But uh, the good news is, Matt, the trend line is very good in life sciences. And yes, I think a couple of years ago, we, we finally passed Madison with lab space, but lab space, we still have about a tenth of what Boston and Cambridge do, uh, which is incredible, even though I mentioned that parity in federal research funding, right? But, but lab space wise, uh, we're way below um, still. But um, we're building more lab space. And I say, we don't just mean Sterling Bay. I mean, entities that would be considered even our competitors, right? Fulton Labs and others. And I know they're um, down Discovery Partners Institute. That's pretty cool. So a lot of cool things happening around the city to add wet lab space. And to use another analogy, you know, the rising tide lifts all ships, right? That's another one of those. It's, Kind of trite, but it's, it's very true in this context. So I believe the more wet lab space we build across the city, if it's not Sterling Bay, it's going to help Sterling Bay, right? And so, but you're right. That's one of the things we have to do for life sciences is, is that space. It seems kind of pedestrian, Matt, that you mean a company leaves 
Chicago because they literally can't find a physical lab. Yes, we've lost a lot of companies just because of that very reason. So we have to stop um, that. I think we're, there are a lot of developments underway now, including uh, in Lincoln Yard, Sturry Bay. We're going to build a 300,000 square foot plus building, right? And others are building things. So we're going to address that. I think the fundamentals are rock solid in the city, right? All the great medical institutions here, the great federal labs we have here, um, some core of life sciences, right? Abbott, AbbVie, Baxter, Horizon, et cetera. So world-class universities all across our state. I think that most people in Illinois don't, don't realize how good Urbana-Champaign is, right? What an amazing place it, it really is. Um, and UFC, I think most people realize how amazing University of Chicago is. And of course, Northwestern, where I'm an alum. So uh, we've always had those resources, but I, I think now they're coming together in a really powerful way. So I'm very bullish on Chicago going forward. You know, there, in terms of city itself, specifically, there are some hurdles. You know, we always have to think about tax rates, right, and on business. Um, there is, unfortunately, uh, a perception of a, of a broad-scale crime issue, right? Um, and that's something that, you know, when you have conversations with those, I think I'm going to say you always have to kind of educate, right, talk about how it's, it's laid out and that kind of stuff. So there are always these, these perceptions. Um, yeah, of course, like any big city, <laughs> we have taxes. We have crime, right? Um, but it isn't such that would it impair the growth in the, of a business. So yeah, I, I'm incredibly optimistic about where our city and region is moving. I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago, frankly, where I think we're kind of treading water. And then we lost to Cato. They had their uh, North America research facilities um, he headquartered here in Chicago and up north in, the, in their Japanese pharmaceutical. So we lost them. That was a blow, but Horizon took over part of that space. And they've been growing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really very optimistic on what life sciences and healthcare is going to look like in this region as we go forward. And I know the governor, um, the state, and the, uh, the mayor of Chicago, as we we're talking about, I know there are a lot of mayors. <laughs> Stay One mayor, I'll just speak about Chicago. She has made a big priority, life science. And I know the governor has made it one of his priorities. So, I think that's important too to have the public elect officials behind the sector. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that we've realized over the past five or 10 years, uh, kind of to your point, is we need these graduation spaces for yeah. the companies that are coming out of all the great institutions you just mentioned, right? Correct. Because for a while, there were very few physical spaces for them to move <laughs> to, right? So it was such a simple thing. It was like, we can't find lab space, so we have to go to Boston or wherever, right? So I think it's yeah. been... And, and of course, you can't fix that overnight, right? It, it takes a while to to get the shovel in the dirt and, and build the spaces that companies need to to move into. But I think just having those, um, you know, opportunity where, you know, a professor or a researcher, whoever has a new development, they build a company around it and they need to move on from their university or, or federal lab kind of space and move into their own space. Um, we're going to, you know, start having those now in Chicago and in the state. And I think that's going to be really important for keeping companies here, right, is we're not losing them before they even really get on their feet, right, which is yeah. what was happening before, I think, from our point of view. So that's exactly right. I'll mention one one sector that I'm really excited about is the cannabis sector. And here I mean on the R&D, obviously it's a retail component to it, but on the research and development side, the discovery side. Just, just as it happens, man, it's more fortuity than not, I believe. But 
we have uh, three of the four largest players from the industry standpoint that are in Chicago, right? Headquarters here, essentially, or significant operations here from a leadership standpoint. So we have a great opportunity going forward to really make Chicago the world's leading hub for cannabis research and discovery and science. It's, it's right there for us. And so that's um, Chicago and then it's around, right? Uh, rating out from that. So that, that's a real opportunity that, that I hope we're going to seize in the coming years. And then looping back to earlier things I was saying, I think as we, if we can do that, as we grow to build that industry, we have to make sure that we actually, it's representative, right? The community, everyone in Chicago. Because those drugs have disproportionately hurt communities of color, right? In terms of imprisonment and, and fines and, not, you know, criminal records, those kind of things that linger. Um, so we want to, you know, more than any industry, as it grows, and again, I'm talking about the R&D piece, right? The part you see in labs and, and medical part. Um, as that grows, we have to really make sure it's reflective of the entire city. So everyone's getting kind of a piece of the pie. I mean, that's a nice example of how I think there's nothing but upside for, for Chicagoland, the cannabis industry. Yeah, and that's obviously such a new industry, right? I mean, we just we just legalized that what last year that that finally kind of came through. So it'll be really interesting to see how that develops. But um, beyond kind of Chicago as a whole, I'm curious, you know, what's next for Sterling Bay? What's next for the Prism Institute? Kind of, you know, what plans do you have for for that initiative over the next five years or so? And and kind of where are you looking to take that? Sure. Well, Sterling Bay, it's it's you know we are growing nationally, and that's not a oppose anything we talked about here. We're always going to be a Chicago company. Um, we're expanding, you know, the, to some key cities, Pacific Northwest, that region. Uh, we've started a West Coast division just last year. Uh, we're doing projects in the Miami area, uh, Dallas, et cetera, Waltham, Massachusetts. So that's exciting as we grow that. The big one, though, clearly, Matt, is Lincoln Yards. You know, that's a, a multi-million dollar investment that we've made. Um, to say nothing of the tremendous time and energy that's gone into right bring that project together, we're super excited about it. It's going to be an amazing space. I mean, when I look at the the spaces that are coming online, what we're doing, Discovery Partners Institute, right, the '78 things they're doing. Um, if you look at the, the West Loop, which we helped kick off, right, it's just some amazing stuff. Um, so with, with Sterling Bay, I think I certainly continue to build those assets out nationally. But focus here on the hometown. It's that starting the uh, Lincoln Yards project. This is a really big one, and as you know, it's 55 acres plus, right? Continue, continuous, and it's under the development plan. And then we purchased another 20 circa, 20 some odd acres. So it's a big, big parcel. For the Prism Institute, it, it really is not just doing all those things we've talked about, right? Um, continuing to help uh, grow entrepreneurs, especially local ones and give them the things they need and do so in a way that the price is right, <laughs> which is we we're not charging. Uh, secondly, to help in particular develop um, entrepreneurs in areas of color, female entrepreneurs, very, very important, very, very passionate about that. The third piece is doing what we can to help increase connectivity among other NGOs and other players in Chicagoland. And that requ requires some selfishness, right? We have to be uh, selfless, selfless, so that we, we actually have to work with those who are competitors, being developers sometimes, right? Or we may have to work with the university where uh, we lost a major project, right? We'll still have to collaborate with them. And I know um, 
the ethos, the leadership of Sterling Bay, you know, Annie Glow and others, it's very much attuned to that, right? Seeing how we can stimulate and increase collaboration throughout the entire ecosystem. So, so that's because that third bucket is going to be something we're going to continue to focus on very, very heavily. And then me personally, um, I want to do all that. I want to do what I can also to support organizations like the coalition, right? Which are they're doing such important work in Chicagoland, state of Illinois, across all state. And frankly, are just underfunded, massively underfunded that, you know, lost that state funding and people don't realize this. You, and she's like, well, you're still doing as much as we ever were, right? <laughs> as you ever were and more and the funding is less. So that requires working harder and developing other sources. So I mean, part of what I want to do is to help um, build other, what I think are just absolutely essential NGOs for this region and for the state, do what I can to help keep those strong and make them even stronger. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly an exciting time for Chicago in terms of some of the developments you mentioned, right? Lincoln Yards, obviously, being I think kind of the flagship, but also what's happening in the West Loop and DPI kind of south of the loop. Um, so we're, we're excited to see where all of that goes. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's been really great working with you over the past um, year or so and, and getting to work on all of those collaborative, you know, types of engagements that, that you mentioned. And I know we're excited to uh, continue to partner with with you and the Prism Institute and Sterling Bay to continue to make those connections that are very much at the heart of what the coalition is all about, right, is is mm-hmm. kind of collaborating wherever and, and whenever there's an opportunity to do so, uh, as long as it's helping impact the economy of the state and creating opportunity uh, for folks in Illinois. So, you know, I want to thank you for for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your insights and a little bit about your background, things I didn't know uh, until we had this conversation. So that's been great. Um, you know, really appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming on the show. Great. Thank you, Matt. I enjoyed it. <laughs>